0: Okay, sorry, I was looking up at the clock, I was telling Bill's story, and I, sorry, we're starting two minutes, two minutes you like late. like the music?
1: Was it a golf story? you, you like the music? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of our uh, theme
0: song for this class. We were going to mix it up and kind of do different songs as we go through, but I decided to, uh, uh, most people tended to like this one better, but just for, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, um, Bob Dylan back in, uh. Seventy-nine wrote this song about uh, serving the Lord. I, I kind of like the, the picture too, with the, the pick in the shape of a cross. Um, let, let's open with prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, this blessing of being able to come together and study your Word, and and you know be, be in a a safe place. Dear Lord, we think of those in um, Eastern Europe right now, especially the Ukrainian people. Dear Lord, uh, we're confused by this. We don't really understand it. Well, we do understand it, but we don't like it. Dear Lord, we ask that your your will might be done and that you just uh, bring your loving embrace around the, the people of Ukraine as well as the people of Russia. Um, dear Lord, be with us now as we study your word Open our hearts and minds. Um, may I say nothing that might cause anyone not to come closer to you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> What necessarily you were thinking when that sermon was being given, but I I, I was just going, Oh my goodness.
3: Me yeah. too. Yep. Yeah. That was <laughs> eerie. yeah, it was. That was it just was
0: eerie. And uh, I, I love the fact you know, I, I love Pastor Jerry. He 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 um, he sticks to the Bible and he lets the Bible speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the Bible speaks.
2: He doesn't editorialize.
0: Yeah, but, but, it, but it, it usually always speaks right to what we're going through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, How couldn't you just
2: that? see that? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> it, it just looked like <laughs> the
1: pictures in the news when he was reading that. Yeah. It, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: That's great.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and throughout his sermon, you know, he'd say something. I'm going, you know, is he talking about the Bible here? Or is he <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. But since this is a class on the Ten Commandments, and uh, for all of you, I, I try to just kind of reiterate for you what the Academy of Faith is. Academy of Faith there at First Press is about um, adult Christian education. And for all of you online listening to the podcast, come to church and meet all these wonderful people here <laughs> in class. <laughs> um, but we meet every day, uh, or every Sunday, here in the West Room and there's also another class right now, Uh, Greta uh, Myers is up teaching on Mere Christianity up in the West Tower. So whether you pick this class or that class, great, but pick one and come and and be with us um, if possible. Um, And we we basically meet every Sunday except for the fourth Sunday, um, which is a fellowship Sunday. I don't know how many of you went down to fellowship, but it was a great time. Uh, Jerry was in charge of the food. So the food was like really all the stuff you don't want to eat but you love eating. uh, Devil (laughs) names and (laughs) and ham and stuff. So um, we now have three Sundays in March before we have another break um, for fellowship at the end of the month. And then we'll just continue on with that pattern. Um, It looks like uh, I'm probably going to go pretty much right up to um, the end of May. Uh, In this class in June, June is missions month here at First Press, Uh, the mission committee is lining up some of our missionaries from around the world or locally that are going to be coming and talking each week here in the West Room, so that will be in June. Uh, I was also out of town on the 20th of February, and thank you, Jeff, for for filling in. Um, So it feels like I haven't been here for a while, but it's it's good to be back, it's good to get back into this. So let's dive right in, because we've got a lot to get covered today. Speaking of current events, I just cannot keep going without saying this, Um, just think about, God's Ten Commandments and what's been going on in the world right now. And what would this world be like if we actually strive to follow those commandments? I don't know about you, but when you watch the current events lately, it's like, uh, you know, he's pretty much breaking every one pretty consistently, Um, every minute by minute, hour by hour. So we've titled this uh, class Pathway to Freedom, the Ten Commandments, How God's Laws Guide Our Lives. And this is uh, our overview. Uh, The Ten Commandments are the creator God of the universe's instructions to us, as C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. And the other thing we're trying to emphasize here is this idea of Christian orthodoxy or basic Christian doctrine or traditional Christianity. and. Um, I'm espousing the idea that that is not the norm any longer in our culture, that our culture glorifies self and disregards God's truth. However, God's word speaks clearly into every area of our lives, offering us not what we want to hear, but what we need most. And then a reminder that the Ten Commandments do not provide us with a to decline to reach acceptance with God. Instead, they are a mirror that exposes our sin and sends us to our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Charting the way, the Christian must walk to enjoy the fullness and freedom of our Heavenly Father intends for us. The Gospel sends us to the law again and again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified by our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian believer is free from the law as a means of justification. The believer is not justified by keeping the law. But having been justified, the believer strives to keep the law. Um, I think it's kind of important that you kind of find people that you kind of uh, trust is a person who really does kind of hold true to um, Christian orthodoxy, um, basic Christianity. Not everybody you're gonna find uh, is gonna be perfect, um, but I, I do like this guy, um, Father Robert Barron. He, he uh, there's a little bio up there for him, he is an auxiliary bishop up in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And I guess they give you a kind of a special title when you have kind of a unique ministry. So his ministry is all about um, media, social media, and getting the, the gospel out that way. Uh, he, he did a PBS series on Catholicism. He used to work at a seminary back in Chicago. Um, but I showed you him. He's the one who did the little review or the uh, critique of uh, the movie um, Eli and um, he has a just a, a just a sh- kind of a short little overview of the Ten Commandments and that's one of the things we're trying to also get down in this class is you know, kind of how they all uh, come together. So I just, I just want to kind of get us back into thinking about the Ten Commandments since we've had a little break here. So I'm going to play for you his video. Um, it's about, I think it's about ten minutes long and he's going to kind of give you uh, an overview of all Ten Commandments and then we'll have a quick review and then we'll get into commandment number Three. So let me bring up Bishop Baron here.
4: Well, I want to talk to you about the Ten Commandments. I'd be willing to bet that if you go back um, generations, most biblical people, most believing church-going people could have recited the Ten Commandments by memory. My guess now is that even church-going people wouldn't be able to do so. And that's a real loss, because the Ten Commandments articulate the foundation of the moral and spiritual life. It would be very good if at least biblical people would have these committed to memory. What I want to do in the course of the brief video is not give you a full disquisition on them, but just say something very simple about each of the Ten Commandments. Keep in mind first that traditionally we divide them into two tables or tablets. So the first tablet has the first three commandments, dealing with our relation to God. Then the second tablet has the remaining seven, dealing with our relation to each other. And that's getting it right. Because the rapport with God is the foundation of the moral and spiritual life. To have that right uh, tends to provide the right um for the rest of it to be out of right rapport with God means the whole thing is thrown off kilter. So let's go to the first tablet first and commandment number one I am the Lord your God you shall have no gods besides me I know right away it can sound kind of quaint like well who's engaging in you know idolatry who's worshiping uh, um, Statues and all that but see this is very basic spiritual stuff Everybody worships something that's a basic uh, intuition Every person has some value that is paramount. A center of gravity, the center of your life, that around which the whole thing revolves. It might be uh, your career, it might be money, it might be power, it might be your family, it might be your ego, whatever. Everyone's got something. The point of the first commandment is the only person you should worship, give highest worth to, is God. When you do that, the rest of your moral and spiritual life falls into harmony. When you don't, your life becomes a cacophony. And so that first commandment is so important. What or whom do you worship? Everything else will flow from that. Second commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now again, that can sound maybe a little bit quaint and doesn't mean that I shouldn't swear. Well, think of it though more, more profoundly. If you say, look, I do. I worship God. God is the center of my life. All right? Say the second commandment. You've got to instantiate that conviction in your speech and in your action. Otherwise, it becomes an abstraction. So the first instantiation is your speech. How do you reverence God in the way you talk about him? Watch almost any movie, listen to almost any casual conversation, and you will hear lots of what we used to call blasphemy, lots of taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And see, the coarsening of speech leads to a sort of coarsening of the soul. Our speech instantiates our worship. That's what Commandment 2 is about. Commandment 3 now is even more pointed in this regard because 3 says, keep holy the Sabbath day. Our worship of God, we can announce it as an interior disposition, but it will become first an abstraction and then an irrelevancy unless we concretize it, incarnate, and instantiate it through Worship through some act of worship. See, it's just false in my mind to say, oh, no, that's all interior That's just a matter of my heart No, no That will even s believe me unless you instantiate it through acts of worship So I think it's a tragedy in our society that Sunday worship in this still largely Christian nation has fallen into desuetude if I go back, you know, when I was a kid, which that long ago. Um, Sunday was a real different day. Sunday felt different. Different texture. Why? Because you assumed most people were going to their place of worship.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: The worship of God was a, an integral part of, of society. Now, Sunday is pretty much just another Saturday. It's another uh, weekend day off. That is not a minor problem. It's a major problem that we don't keep holy the Sabbath. Okay, there's Table 1, our dealing with God. If you worship God, God's the center of your life, you love God, you express it through concrete acts of worship, well, then you will naturally love the things that God loves. What does God love? He loves the human race. So that's how Table 2 flows from Table 1. I love God, now I'm going to love my neighbor. And the remaining seven are all instantiations of this uh, demand to love. So the first one, the fourth commandment, is to honor your mother and father. Now, almost every commentator from biblical times on has broadened that out to imply the love for one's family. See, I think it's very important. If you're going to love your neighbor, right, well, where do you start? You start with the people who are nearest and dearest to you. You start with your parents, your siblings, your kids. If you can't manage to love them, how in the world will you manage to love anybody else? And so... First, ground your love for neighbor in the people closest to you. Honor your father and mother. Care for your siblings and, and your kids, etc. So the family is fundamental. Uh, fifth commandment is thou shalt not kill. Um, now again, most people listening to me might say, look, I've never killed anybody and I, I'm not really tempted to murder. But let's be honest. I mean, killing is still a very disturbing reality in our society. From the time of Roe v. Wade, 1973, conservatively, 60 million unborn children have been killed in our country alone. Um, that's a lot of killing that goes on. Think of um, uh, the murders committed by ISIS in recent weeks and months. I mean, those are happening as we speak. Think of the almost casual killing of young people on the streets of our major cities in America. I mean, killing is still very much of a reality. What's the basic biblical principle? That God is the Lord and giver of life, that life belongs to God in a very particular way. And therefore, we should never arrogate to ourselves this divine prerogative. Now, from the beginning, we've, we've appreciated legitimate self-defense and all that. I mean, the church recognizes just more, et cetera, et cetera. Nevertheless, the principle holds that life belongs to God. and Therefore, it's not our business to be taking life. Um, you know, broaden the thing out, too, this way. Are you spiritually a life enhancer or a life taker? You know, some people, they come close to you and you feel more alive because they're, they're present. They, they enhance your life. Other people take life away psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. What do you like in that regard? Do you take life? Do you enhance life? Might be a way to um, broaden that commandment out. Sixth commandment, do not commit adultery. Adultery is a problem? Well, it has been from time immemorial. It is very much a problem today. Again, it's supposed to be an instantiation of love. If a husband and wife make a loving commitment to each other for life, and they violate that commitment, it is a violation of love in a very primordial way, in a way that deeply wounds those involved. We can pretend to be very liberated and very progressive in regard to their sexual mores, Talk to somebody who has been cheated on in a marriage. Talk to someone against whom adultery has been committed, and ask for their honest feelings about it. And again, again, the family, the family. The family is the building block of society. That's not just a a pious sentiment. That's a very real claim. Society is grounded in the, the fundamental relationship and the values of a family. When those are violated, and that's what happens in adultery, it's a violation of the family value, par excellence. When that happens, something happens to our society. When adultery is widely countenanced, the society is sick. The Sixth Commandment is bringing us now back to this um, very important insight. Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not steal. Stealing, talk to people who've been robbed. Talk to people whose homes have been invaded or ransacked. Talk to someone who even has experienced a pickpocket. There's something uniquely crushing, depressing uh, about being robbed. It's like a violation of your personhood, a violation of fundamental rights. Thomas Aquinas says, when you rob someone of their good name through calumny, you are violating the Seventh Commandment. That's always struck me. It's very powerful. When you're bad-mouthing someone, you're robbing them of their good name. You're stealing something from them that you have no right to. Do you make restitution when you steal something? And they're stealing large and small. People can steal on a very grand scale in the corporate world. Do you make restitution? Do you realize what a violation of human rights this is? That's the seventh commandment. Eighth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, I would invite a serious examination of conscience here. Go through the day, review your day, and ask yourself, how often did I attack someone? Did I put someone down? Did I undermine someone's reputation? We do it. It's our favorite indoor pastime. We do it because we want to puff up and aggrandize our own ego. If I can bring someone down, I feel that I've been elevated. But when you do that, you again are undermining not only a person's rights, but you're undermining the integrity of society in a fundamental way. How often do you lie for the sake of your own advantage, the sake of your own ego elevation? That's what the Eighth Commandment is about. The last two now I'm going to couple together as one. The Ninth and Tenth Commandments. Do not covet your neighbor's (coughs) goods. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Because that word covet is really interesting. Rene Girard, the contemporary philosopher, has constructed an elaborate theory. Part of it is what he calls "mimetic triangular desire. Fancy language. The idea is not all that fancy, though. (coughs) He recognizes it right away. We tend to desire things, Girard says, not because of their intrinsic value, but because someone else desires them. Think of little kids playing together. And this, there's a toy that is a matter of utter indifference to one toddler until another toddler comes in and wants that toy. And now right away the two of them want it. Um, think of gang members fighting over a jacket or, or a pair of gym shoes or something. Why do you want it? Why do you care so much? Is it, is it so intrinsically valuable? Well, no, because he wants it. And So the triangular desire is set up. Mimetic just means imitative. We imitate each other's desires. Think of much of advertising as predicated upon this principle. Why do I want this thing? Well, because some famous person tells me he wants it, he (laughs) desires it. Think of a lot of our, sadly, sexual relationships predicated upon the same dynamic of wanting someone not because of his or her intrinsic merits, but because he or she is desired by somebody else. Coveting, coveting, desiring what other people desire is the source, Gerard says, of a lot of attention and pain in our social relations. Well, that's deeply rooted in the Bible. Desire something, fine, that's fine. That's that's natural to us. But stop (coughs) coveting what other people have. Stop desiring what other people desire. That's what leads to so much of our uh, conflict. Okay, that's my romp through the Ten Ten Commandments. What I'd recommend to everybody is take the time to memorize. it. It's not that hard. Commit these 10 to memory. It's a very helpful spiritual exercise. And then I recommend to everybody take the even tougher road of trying to live by them.
0: So, You can I've already figured this out yet, but I'm a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. And Professor Rick is a professor. So there's a difference. He spends all his time, not all his time, but a lot of his time. Sailing. Well, <laughs> sailing. S- actually coming up with original thought. My job as a middle school teacher, I always told this to my principals was, I, my job is to teach curriculum. Give me good curriculum. So um, I find people that can do it better than I do and I just show it to you, right? <laughs> so that's, that's why we, we watch this. Um, now one of the things you noticed, and we're gonna talk about this now in our review, is there are kind of a different lineup when it comes to the 10 Commandments. Are you talking about the Catholic, how they categorize them? Are you talking about the Protestant or the Jewish? So we'll talk about that um, in our our quick review. just went the wrong way. All right, so time for review. Um, Basic Christian orthodoxy. So you're going to know there's a change here. So I had a a dear friend came up to me, and she said, you know, Kirk, I want to talk to you about one of your slides. And um, she goes, I think... she goes, I, I kind of think you, I know where you're headed, but I think it might be a little confusing for some people. And she wanted me to talk about that that word plural. And what I was doing was I was trying to keep it with the Ps, right? Mm-hmm. So powerful, perfect, praiseworthy, plural. Um, and she goes, I think that, especially since you keep talking about Christian orthodoxy, basic Christianity, that, that might be confusing to some people. So I changed it, and we're going to talk about it. A little bit so God is powerful speaking all into being God is perfect self-existent in need of no one and nothing God is praiseworthy on account of his person and his works God is one Father Son and Holy Spirit all co-equal and all co-eternal the Word of God is contained in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments which are found in the Bible and we must recognize the distinct differences between the Christian faith and other world religions. So where I got that was from a sermon by J.I. Packard. And in that, he kind of broke, broke it down into these things. And that's where I tried to come up with those, those little short versions. But just to make sure everybody is clear on this, God is tri-personal three persons, if you want to think of personality as opposed to persons in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There are not three gods, but one God in three persons. Okay, Christianity is a monotheistic religion. Judaism started monotheism. okay we're, We' come from that history. Um, I taught out in East County we had a lot of uh, Muslims. And when I taught seventh grade, one of the things I have to teach on is world religions. And so we used to have a really nice conversation about this. I kind of, you know, uh, maybe God put me there for that reason. But they were always confused by this, this idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So try to teach middle school students the Trinity and you really, really uh, have to be on your game for that. So this threeness is a Christian revelation. The word we used to describe this is Trinity. Now this concept um, in the Bible is not found, fa- or the, the actual word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the concept is. So the doctrine of the Trinity, we have a formulation rather than an explanation of this mind searching truth. So just to be very clear Uh, Christianity does not believe in three gods, but believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Way back when our first (laughs) commandment, no other gods, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, God demands his people total devotion. This is firmly based upon who God is and what God has done. God is both creator and redeemer. We talked about some of the things in the 21st century that causes uh, us to maybe put something else in front of God, and then um, we need to remember that uh, the perversity of the human heart is such that even these good things become, on occasion, for us, idolatry. Um, and I, am going to skip. A, I'll come back to these really quick. I want to find this. There it is. Um, I don't know how many of you know Timothy Keller. Uh, he's a pastor, a theologian. Um, he, he started uh, a church in New York City uh, called the um, Redeemer, I believe. What's it? Uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He's an author. He's gotten lots and lots of books out. So this came across. Um, I don't have a Facebook page, but Carol does, and I cheat and look at hers. Um, came across Carol's Facebook thing. And I thought this was really good for the first commandment. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life, and identity, then it's an idol. And so I think that's kind of a good, a good summary for us. We talked about the fact that there are different ways of categorizing these Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments do not appear in the Bible as numbered commandments. And so, um, depending on which one you're looking at, this is the, the Jewish version. It starts with I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then it goes on, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. So we talked about that. The Catholic version, the version that Bishop Barron was using. You know, it was a little bit different than the one we're using in here. Um, starts with "I am, uh, I am the Lord, uh, your God. You shall know no other gods beside me. You should not take the Lord, the name of the Lord, God in vain." And then it goes on from there. So that's a little bit different. Protestants would say that first tablet holds four, not three. Protestant version um, breaks down. This way, you shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make unto you any graven images. So, the last time I was with you, we kind of tried to unpack that idea, iconoclasm, etc., and then it goes down from there. So, when you're talking about if you're talking about how um, you know these specific commandments, you, know, you might want to kind of make sure you notice which one you're actually looking at. Are you looking at a Protestant list? Are you looking at a Catholic list? Are you looking at a Jewish list? They're going to be slightly, slightly different. Um, uh, last time we were together we talked about graven images. We had fun doing that. Uh, we talked about what the Heidelberg Catechism talked about when it came to graven images. And we're using a lot of these confessions Uh, The first commandment forbids the worship of any false god. The second commandment demands that we do not worship the one true creator, God, in an unworthy manner. It is not enough to worship the correct God. We must worship the correct God correctly. And that brings us to today's lesson. So, what is in a name? So, commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold guiltless who misses, misuses his name, Exodus 27. So, we're going to talk about this for a little bit today. Um, like I said, I don't come up with all this stuff on my own. This is kind of the book I've been using. Okay help us get through this class. It's called Pathway to Freedom, and it's by Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg is from Scotland, but he fell in love with a woman from America um, whose parents were over in England working for Campus Crusade for Christ, and eventually they got married, and he came was called to a church in Cleveland. He has a radio program. He's pretty... Um, well heard around the country. But if you never heard him, um, I would recommend him. I like him. I like his accent.
3: Especially that burr. Yeah.
0: But I want to read the first couple paragraphs from this chapter. And I decided I wasn't going to take the time to to put it down. But I I think it's, it's kind of interesting to show you a little bit of history here on january 8th the year of our lord 1697 at two o'clock in the afternoon thomas eikenhead was taken to the gallows on the road between edinburgh and leith a hangman pulled away the ladder the body swung and the theology student not quite 19 was dead his crime blasphemy an act of the Scottish Parliament in 1695, decreed that a person not not distracted in his wits, who railed or cursed against God or persons of the Trinity, was to be punished with death. In prosecuting the case, James Stewart, the Lord Advocate, the Scottish equivalent of the Attorney General, addressed Mm -hmm. the accused. It is a verity that you, Thomas Aikenhead, shaking off all fear of God and regard to his majestic laws, have now for more than a twelfth month made, as it were, your endeavor and work to vent your wicked blasphemies against God and our Savior Jesus Christ. My purpose in beginning here is clearly not to argue for the reenactment of the blasphemy, blasphemy laws of the 17th century, It is rather to provide a dramatic backdrop against which to consider the way in which our culture endorses blasphemy as a way of life. The name of God is routinely misused by all ages and in all places. This is not new. The psalmist addressed the same issue in his generation. His words have a contemporary ring. Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. And that's Psalm 74, verse 18. So um, they took this commandment super, super, super seriously um, back in 17th century Scotland. A couple principles of interpretation. The commandments are spiritual and therefore require that we obey them from our hearts. We've talked about this over and over. Outward conformity must be a product of inward affection. There is a positive and a negative aspect to each commandment. Where sin is forbidden, a duty is commanded. Where a duty is commanded, a sin is usually implied. And each commandment forbids not only the acts of sin, but also the desire and inclination to sin. The third commandment forbids every wrong use of God's name and on the positive side, it demands that we use his name with reverence and awe. Why is this so important? Because God's name is more than just a title. His name declares his character. It proclaims who he is and what he has done. Here are some of God's names as they appear in the Old Testament. Um, Jehovah, meaning the Lord God, and then these Hebrew words that describe his character. So like the second one there, Shalom, he is our peace, he's our shepherd, he's our righteousness, he's the Lord God who provides. By naming himself in a variety of ways, God graciously accommodates himself to our finite thinking. Calvin writes, It is not an inestimable goodness that our God so stoops towards us and permits us to use his name. And then another author I kind of like, writes, Only God truly knows God. Our creaturehood, therefore, requires God reveal himself if we are to have adequate knowledge of him. And then from Psalms 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. From Proverbs, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One, who has gone up to heaven and come down, whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. So this idea of a name having uh, or describing part of our character is not so much known here in our culture, but it is very much known in Africa and Asia. So Peggy, who's been to Africa, she talks about this. uh, so, Pay, hey, give us some examples of some African names that would, and why Africans name their children the way they do. No,
5: they're all named biblically, Old Testament, mostly.
0: But they're describing something yeah, that they hope that yeah, child will display, children, right? So, yeah. the, you might name your kid Charity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, uh, so, give us some other also examples. There's
5: also there. Oh, I know what you're thinking. So, they would. Um, like attributes they would want. Right. Like they would be joy or um, serenity or um, what was the other one that we had just recently? Precious. Precious, yes. And um, <laughs> names like that. that
6: so our common. adopted son, uh, his brother is, who's from Af- yes. West Africa, his brother is named Precious. Yes. And uh, our adopted son is thank God. Yes. But it's Beriza in the, the language. Right. And uh, but we used to get mail. Was, thank God, Kennedy. Thank really? God, Kennedy. Yeah, yeah that's cool. <laughs> wow. yeah. So, and that and that's a,
0: a kind of a a little bit different way to think about it. That we're not. I don't think it's as common for us here um, in America. There's a, a part in the book where he talks about people going into a convention and they you know everybody puts their their name on a name tag Mm -hmm. and walks around where in Africa or in Asia a lot of times it's usually a title you know like misters maybe your your job title or something like that that they really really hold their name and kind of a a safe place they don't want just ordinary people using it in kind of an ordinary way so we talk about this in the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name holy is your name, John Calvin again um, who uh, Rick taught about we are not to profane his name by treating it contemptuously and irreverently we should be zealous and careful to honor his name with godly reverence Um, we don't even tend to use that word reverence very much anymore. So where do we find God's name declared? In his world, in his creation, in his written word, and of course in in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the living word. Um, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to take that out. So what is forbidden uh, in the third commandment? What should we be, you know, be aware of keeping our, our eyes open for it. So we're going to talk about, just real quickly, three things here. Perjury. Um, this is employing God's name in the interest of falsehood is to misuse his name. And I want you to think about that especially. I'm going to show you another video. And his whole take on the third commandment is really zeroing in on this one. So employing God's name in interests interest of falsehood is to misuse his name. So what he's going to talk a lot about is this idea, if you start using God's name in um, Space. The, the, the same time you are um, going against God's commandments, he goes, that's something to be very, very um, scared about. Blasphemy, when we take God's name, which is sacred, and treat it with irreverence or contempt. So, Bishop Barrett talked about this in the video. Um, We don't uh, beg, talked about it in the reading I just read you, the idea of blasphemy. Uh, This used to be a a capital offense. Um, When we take God's name, which is sacred, and treat it with irreverence or contempt. Flippancy. We neither think nor say anything concerning God and His mysteries without reverence and much soberness. Uh, Maybe we need to have a a class on that word reverence. That's coming up a lot here. We don't tend to use that a lot. Uh, Hypocrisy. We violate the third commandment when our worship of God is marked by unreality. Um, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And that's Isaiah 29, 13. So, Dennis Prager, who's Jewish, so if you watch his videos that he has on the Ten Commandments, which I recommend, I think they're well done, but he's going to kind of come from more of a um, a Jewish perspective, Judeo-Christian, I'd say perspective. But um, he his his take on this would be, I think, maybe a a little bit slightly different. Maybe he emphasizes, like I mentioned, that first part. So we're going to watch this and see what you, uh, if you learn anything from this, and then. Have a few minutes. We can have a discussion.
7: group. Yeah.
3: Thank you.
8: The worst sin, one sin that is worse than all the others. Well, there is. I am well aware that some people differ. They maintain that we can't declare any sin worse than any other. To God, a sin is a sin is how it's often expressed. In this view, the person who steals a stapler from the office is committing as grievous a sin in God's eyes as a murderer. But most people intuitively, as well as biblically, understand that some sins are clearly worse than others. We are confident that God has at least as much common sense as we do. The God of Judaism and Christianity does not equate stealing an office item with murder. So then, what is the worst sin? The worst sin is committing evil in God's name. How do we know? From the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that states that God will not forgive a person who violates the commandment. What does the commandment say? It is most commonly translated as, Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless, meaning will not forgive, whoever takes his name in vain. Most people understandably think that the commandment forbids saying God's name for no good reason. So something like, God, that I have a rough day at work today, violates the third commandment. But that interpretation presents a real problem. It would mean that whereas God could forgive the violation of any of the other commandments, dishonoring one's parents, stealing, adultery, or even committing murder, he would never forgive someone who said, God, did I have a rough day at work today. Let's be honest. That would render God and the Ten Commandments morally incomprehensible. Well, as it happens, the commandment is not the problem. The problem is the translation. The Hebrew original does not say, do not take. It says, do not carry. The Hebrew literally reads, do not carry the name of the Lord thy God in vain. One of the most widely used new translations of the Bible, the New International Version, or NIV, uses the word misuse rather than the word take. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is much closer to the original's intent. What does it mean to carry or to misuse God's name? It means committing evil in God's name and that God will not forgive. Why not? When an irreligious person commits evil, it doesn't bring God and religion into disrepute. But when religious people commit evil, especially in God's name, they are not only committing evil, they are doing terrible damage to the name of God. In our time, there is an example of this. The evils committed by Islamists who torture, bomb, cut throats, and mass murder, all in the name of God, do terrible damage to the name of God. It is not coincidental that what is called the new atheism, the immense eruption of atheist activism, followed the 9-11 attacks on America by Islamist terrorists. In fact, the most frequent argument against God and religion concerns evil committed in God's name, whether it is done in the name of Allah today or was done in the past in the name of Christ. People who murder in the name of God not only kill their victims, they kill God too. That's why the greatest sin is religious evil. That's what the third commandment is there to teach. Don't carry God's name in vain. If you do, God won't forgive you. I'm Dennis Prager.
0: Dennis, you know, he he doesn't hold back, you know. All right. So, look at
7: that. We got nine minutes if we want it. (laughs) Sir. The principle is expanded in uh, Leviticus 24, it talks about the son of an Israelite woman who blasphemed and and cursed, and then was taken out of the city and stoned. And so, my question is, what biblical principle of interpretation allows us to affirm the sin of the third commandment uh, without and yet jettison the penalty? In other words, what was Fundamentally wrong with the 16th century approach. Um, biblically.
0: Are you arguing that there wasn't
7: something wrong with it? No, I'm asking what was the principle that they used to jettison it.
0: Who jettisoned it? Our culture.
7: Sure. Well, at whatever time it was jettisoned, what what, what would it be if you were preaching on the subject? Why would you say they were wrong?
5: I think they misinterpreted the word, as Prager was saying, that take instead of carry. I think that was the underlying problem, you know. Ah. Unintentional consequences. They thought they were making it in a a simplified manner so people could understand, and it had wrong.
0: I want to make sure I understand the question are you saying what did they use to decide that they should stop using capital punishment for people that broke the commandment?
8: Yeah, the legitimate.
7: I'm not talking about the illegitimate breaking of the commandment. I'm talking about whatever we would determine as being legitimate. If the commandment in Leviticus that corresponds to this commandment says that that's what you do, then on what basis did we determine that they were wrong?
0: well, the, the one thing I would, I don't know the answer per se, but I would say one of the things would be is that um, religions, churches, don't have the ability to sentence people to death anymore, right? That's a, that's a civil thing now. So civil governments have come in and they've taken that, that role over. And we don't have um, religious courts who hold people accountable for crimes and, you know, sentence them to whatever. Now, if you were, if you want to ask me, why did civil courts get rid of it? That's an easy answer, right? No, that's not <laughs> my question. Yeah,
7: my question is, how did the burden of the commandment, if we hold the commandment to be true today, then how does one jettison the penalty for breaking that commandment?
6: You know, yeah, I, I, I would think it would be a sort of a matter of humility of the, us uh this is serious stuff and so god is gonna judge and we let it pass in our society with letting god judge this when god does judgment i would see it as a uh, something which we wouldn't want churches and states uh following those kinds of laws you know, And it, it, with Leviticus and stuff, there's I think, a different time in which you had a, you know, God's presence was right there and he was directing things with Moses. And uh, um, I think when, I think, we're, I think our society, we just have to be more humble about judgment. Let God judge. And I would say that this is where the cross is the solution,
9: or at least the way that Paul understands it is, what do we do with all of the curses that come from our disobedience to the law? We look to the fulfilled atoning blood of Jesus on the cross, and so the penalty for all the, the commandments still hold up. The penalties have actually been satisfied in Jesus, and so that's the way every time a Christian looks at the law, we we do so through a lens of the mediator. We do so through a a, a Christ crucocentric lens, you know, and so that would be. Um, think any of the, but this is, this is a great question. When, you know, do we, do we hold on to the commandment? or we toss out the penalty for not upholding the commandment? No, we don't. We did, nothing is jettisoned, but something is fulfilled. You know, the penalty is actually fulfilled with Jesus, I would say. We haven't jettisoned anything.
0: But his question, though, is valid in the sense that the excerpt I read, are, those were Christians who condemned that guy. death right Mm in 1647 in Scotland so Christians were still doing it back in the 1600s
7: I think it brings up the problem of deciding which of the law the Old Testament law is meant to be contemporary so and can you selectively choose which ones are and which ones are not and on what basis do you do that and then, to what extent, if you're going to hold on to the law, can you get rid of the curses and the consequences? And to me, that's a big, complicated, and difficult question, but one that needs to be brought up. Otherwise, people will do what they did in the 16th century, rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. I, I by, the, by the way, I think Jeff's that's answer smart. is is the yeah. answer. Uh, but I still, I, it remains to be said, to what extent. Can we isolate Ten Commandments out of the entire Mosaic and Levitical law and say that these are current uh, and applicable and yet discard the curses and the consequences?
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Yes, ma'am.
3: Well, I was just going to say that it's, I think, more of a moral relational after Christ. So just a silly, simple, not silly, but it's important to me, I don't put, I won't put like a, 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 a anything Christian on the back of my car because of my relationship with the Lord that I know I might be screaming at somebody or do something and I don't really want to hurt his name I don't want, I see this all the time and it hurts me What it, how he's maligned by us as Christians
0: so Prager's video which I, you know, I think it has some valid, valid points to it um, when it comes to uh, for me personally, too, uh, <laughs> uh, when other people who know that I'm a Christian and when I'm not acting in a Christian way, um, you know, and I'm convicted of that, that, to me that's I feel very ashamed and, and, and hurt. That relational. Yeah, um, but you know, you could you know go throughout history. We have lots and lots of examples where people are doing lots and lots of terrible things in God's. God's name, right? Thinking they're 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 doing right by God by doing that. Um, I, I think it's a it's an interesting take. I don't know where everybody else comes down on it, but
5: I think of you know when after Moses gave the law and um, and Aaron quickly fell and took all the jewelry to make the golden calf and then said to the people, "This is the God that brought you out of Egypt." And I think part of this is to say that things that God does is attributed to somebody else or some other thing. I think that's one of the things that I see that's added into this um, taking the Lord's name in vain. And um, I think that that's just part of it, that we can't say, you know, um, the things that clearly God did that I take credit for.
0: So next week, we're going to talk about uh, keeping the Sabbath holy. What do you think about Bishop Barron's thing about talking about how he felt when he was growing up? Sundays were different.
2: Oh, I love well, they them. were.
0: Did mm. you feel that? I, I mean, I, yes. I even when I was growing up, mm-hmm. Sunday was had a very different feel to it oh, than absolutely. it does now. Um, Shopping centers were not open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most entertainments were not open.
2: Mm-hmm. You didn't go shopping. Uh, yeah, I mean, even was I was in the gro- I
0: was in the grocery business. We were when I first started. We were closed on Sundays, and then we opened, but we only opened from ten to six, right? Um, but it had a really a different feel. At least I mm-hmm. thought it did. Okay. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take. So that's something you might want to think about because we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about that commandment and we'll go from there.
3: I know. I'll just say quickly when we were in Germany um, it was so interesting because they all the truckers cannot drive on mm. a Sunday and they're all at the truck stops and sometimes like why does Germany do so well and also if you go to a church you have to tithe if you belong to a church you have, but, so I think there's some things they follow of course they're not following but that help bless them you know
0: um
1: well, just that what Jeff said, the law is fulfilled in Christ, and if we want to know what we eliminate and what we don't li- eliminate, we learn more and more about to be like Christ by studying mm-hmm. the Gospels, by studying the interpretations made by later writers in the uh, New Testament. So that helps us. And, and it just occurred to me, what you said about these are statements, so... These are statements that we have as ways of identifying this sin in our life, mm-hmm. and we still have them, and they still apply to us. And then Christ in the Sermon on the Mount takes them the next step. I mean, and, and even in the New Testament, then we have things like greet one another with a holy kiss. We, if you came up to me and gave me a holy kiss, I think <laughs> you've lost your mind. Or you know? So we, we have to continually be interpreters and make it. It's, it's
0: challenging. It, it, it's exactly well, what, challenging. what makes this class really challenging is exactly that, right? Uh, you would think, well, let's talk about these 10 basic beliefs that most human beings would accept. It's not as easy as you think. If you've been here for more than one class, we get into these discussions, we, we, we see all these pitfalls, we see all these stumbling blocks, we see how some people take it and they use it in a way where um, you know, it's probably not what God intended. But it, they seem very straightforward and basic, don't they? But I think you can fall into some, some traps, especially when it comes to um, th- that one aspect that I keep trying to talk to us about, the idea of, of the heart, you know, that one um, verse from Isaiah. You know the idea is that you know they just they came up with all these rules and they just kind of they kind of talked to them about them and stuff, but they didn't really think them through. They didn't really they weren't really doing them out of out of love for God. It was just more of a a, a duty. So this is this is not necessarily as as easy and as straightforward as I think we always think it is. Jeff.
1: When Jeff was leaving the class you went to the Westminster catechism right mm-hmm. where it says what what is what you're supposed to do related to that commandment or statement what you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. that was also a really helpful interpretation of things but the, the other thing is there is one unforgivable sin in the New Testament but I couldn't find it because I don't have my phone, and therefore I don't have my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's the blasphemy blasphemy. The holy yeah, the Bible against blasphemy. Uh, the, blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit. spirit. Oh, yes, yeah.
5: which is, so I think ties to it's this. Very close. T- I think it's very close to that to this command.
0: To, to, right?
1: yeah. yeah, totally yeah. tied. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is that when Jesus was quoting, he said, "You have heard, you shall not commit murder, um, an eye Christ. for an eye, a tooth for a tooth." But he took it further, right? So you, you can murder can. with your heart. And with your vile mouth and that kind of thing. I mean, so just saying you can't, you don't kill somebody, but there are ways you can do it without um, stabbing them. You can stab them in the back. You can um, be mean to them and and murder them that way. I I think that's interesting too, because that takes it much farther beyond what we think initially the Old Testament really helps me understand the world without Christ mm-hmm. you know when I read it that I learn a lot about how we human beings relate to one another and God without Christ and so then I so I have a tendency to spend more lots more time in the New Testament because I want to know how I can be right with him because I am in Christ you know so mm-hmm. then it makes it really hard to like hold um, the two together and figure it all out
0: let me we we, uh, close with prayer dear Lord we ask that you uh, help us to continue to want to um, read understand learn your word dear Lord we want to be good disciples of Christ go with us now be with us throughout the week help us to be examples of your love of your grace and once again we pray for the people of Ukraine we pray for the Russian people We pray that your will might be done for them and for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.